Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm very excited to have the chance to talk with you today. So can you first start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure, thank you for having me. My name is Jan Vandenberg. I'm a professor at the Department of Communication and Media. I'm also the director of the Quantitative Methods in the Social Sciences program, which is something we set up in the middle of COVID. So it's fairly young and it's had uh, an interesting history, let, let us put it that way. I came to U of M seven years ago. Before that, I, I worked in Belgium at a Belgian university. I, I'm from Belgium. I was in my early 50s and I needed a new challenge and I ended up here and I've never regretted it. That's wonderful. Thank you. And so can you tell us about your research focus? Sure. So I originally trained as a social scientist and a, and a communication scholar. And then in my 40s, I felt something was missing when I started to get interested in the health effects of media. And so I went back to school and also got a degree in epidemiology. And what I'm interested in is, so media are all around us. When I started doing this stuff, people thought that was an incredibly trivial thing to want to study. But today, we're all struggling with, you know, television for some, video games for others is it an addiction. Uh, mobile phones are a big, big deal. Sometimes I joke that if somebody says, oh, no, 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 I'm very disciplined. I'm not like that. You're probably someone who checks their emails right before bed. Everybody's got something they're struggling with. And I'm interested in what happens when media use has unintended effects. So not education, not marketing or advertising, but what happens when how come we end up binge watching, for instance, or do we learn something from a science fiction movie? So whenever we're using media for entertainment or some other reason, is there something that seeps in or, or seeps through that teaches us something about what the world looks like? Or is there anything that changes our behaviors? That, that's when I get interested. Thank you. And can you share with us a bit about the M2E2 Mindless Media Exposure and Effects Lab? When I first got here seven years ago, I had this weird luxury of having to reinvent myself, basically. And I was thinking, like, what sums up what I'm interested in? And I came up with the idea of mindless media use, because that's sort of when I get interested. What's the stuff we do without really thinking much? You know, you decide to have a half hour off before you go to bed and you switch on something that relaxes you on television. And weirdly enough, three hours later, you realize you watch seven episodes of something. Or you like playing video games and you think one more level before I stop and that turns into 17 levels. Or... You take your mobile phone because you want to know what time is it. And most of us don't have a watch anymore. We use our phones. And without really realizing what's going on, all of a sudden you're on TikTok. And that's that's when I get interested. What are those? I call it mindless, not because it's um, it's negative, but it's the stuff that we do almost automatically without really thinking much about it. And that's when something very weird happens with the meat. Nobody accidentally eats a cake. But we may accidentally end up 
spending an hour and a half on Wikipedia figuring out what the difference is between a duke and a marquee. Thank you. Part of your work centers around how we learn about the world from fictional media and involuntary and incidental media effects. Can you talk more about this work and provide a few examples of how media impacts our assumptions about the world? Yes. So once we're about 11, we start to, most of us start to realize what the difference is between the real world and what's really happening and a story about the world. So an 11 year old knows when they're watching Terminator movies, this isn't real. This is a story about something in the future. Um, that's why it's so weird to start thinking about, do we learn anything from this? Um, and the way I think it works is we see the same cliches coming back over and over again, but it's kind of the way stories are often uh, written and we gradually become media literate is the word we often use for it. We start to learn the language uh, of the media the same way young people learn which are the right and the wrong uh, emojis to use on TikTok or, or something like that. So we gradually learn the, the language of the media and then we recognize those cliches and then I get interested in, does any of that seep through? So um, an example is when I was, when I just finished my PhD, uh, a grad student came to me and said like, hey, I'm studying coping behavior in uh, first time offenders, people who go to jail for the first time or to prison for the first time. And um, her name's Heidi van den Bosch. She's at the University of Antwerp now. And she said, something funny is going on. Every time I talk to someone about their first experience uh, in prison, almost all of them start by saying, it wasn't what I was expecting from watching movies. And that's a really interesting example because, you know, if you are consciously breaking the law, part of you knows you may at some point end up in prison. So that becomes an important thing for you. And very often we think like the only way media are going to influence us is if it's about something uh, that's never going to affect us personally. Do you know stuff about the British royal family because you watched The Crown? Does it tell you something about this is probably how they live? That would be another example. And that's the sort of thing where, yeah, you probably don't care too much about that. So we used to think like that's when media may have an effect. But this prison example was so interesting because these are folks who are basically, you know, looking for information. What is it going to be like if I if I get caught and I end up in prison? And even they clearly thought like, well, I know these are just movies, but they keep showing stuff the same way over and over. This must be telling us something about what it's really like. And so... What we're talking about prisoners who were sent to prison for the first time, which was, was an early example. A more recent example is Europeans or, or people from anywhere in the world who visit New York for the first time often have this weird sensation of, wow, this almost feel real, feels real. And what they actually mean is, this is just like the movies. It's as if I'm stepping into a movie set and look at people's Facebook page or social media page when they've been to New York. They'll populate it with pictures that remind them of what they already knew, yellow cabs, um, some of the sites. There'll be a picture of an NYPD car. If they see a fire truck, there'll be a picture of a fire truck. These are the images we already knew. And 
I've I've looked at the same thing uh, among Americans now, and it's the same thing. You know, first time you visit Paris, you're visiting the Paris from the movies, and you'll have people complaining like, "Well, it was road construction going on. This ruined everything for me." Right, because you expect it to be a movie set, but it's not. It's a big city, and people actually live there. So, so those are moments when it appears as if we're judging reality based on what we thought we knew, and we knew it from entertainment media and very often from fiction. Thank you. So you spoke a little bit about how the media impacts our knowledge of, for example, violence and the field of law enforcement. In reference to your research, how does watching TV affect our knowledge of, uh, similarly, the healthcare field and emergency medicine? Yes. So, so that's an extension of what we just talked about. So imagine we know it's fiction. You're watching one of these cop shows or one of these uh, dramas that's set in an, in an uh, emergency room. And you keep seeing the same cliches. I, I once borrowed a, a broken um, defibrillator from the university hospital and had students show how to use it, and students with no background in emergency medicine, hadn't even trained in first aid, still thought they knew what the machine did and how to operate it. You know, they'd rub the paddles together and then they put them on somebody else. And if I had two students do this, then the student pretending to be the patient would even pretend to be shocked, you know. Um, all of this, and they knew this very well, like they got this from the movies. So what's going on there? What I think is, you see the same cliche over and over again. Let's take the Miranda rights, you know. You have the old um, sort of cliche of a cop who doesn't follow the rule book, uh, the, the rogue cop. That's that's a big storyline we often see. So when somebody shows up in a movie and goes, you have the right to remain silent, we know this is an official arrest. This is someone following the rules. So, so it serves a purpose in the story. And... Um, we see this over and over again. And so I think that somewhere deep inside us, we assume there must be a prototype all of this is based on because why else do they keep showing the same cliches? So that somehow lingers. We don't really think much about it because we're enjoying ourselves. We're just watching a movie or we're just playing a video game or whatever. And then you're in a situation where you have two seconds to decide. You know, you're, you're in an ER, something's happened to you, you don't know what to expect, you're not in a position to carefully start thinking like, where do I get my opinions and my perceptions from? So that's typically a moment, I think, where any information we have in us, including the stuff we kind of vaguely learn from entertainment, that's our database. Um, the extremist example I know from my own research is when I was still in Belgium, I asked 812 to 18 year olds, what are cops supposed to tell you if you get arrested in the United States? And even the 12-year-olds, 38% of them could give me the Miranda rights in English. You have the right to remain silent, etc. cetera. Um, and I've always had trouble explaining this to American audience, audiences because somebody will say, well, they probably read a book about this. Well, no, these are 12-year-old kids who don't even speak English as their uh, native language. They don't actually... The groups I looked at didn't even start learning English at school until they were 14 or 16. And, and they still thought that they'd learned something about what the real world looks like. It's like people ending up um, arrested and, and demanding uh, to make their phone call. 
it's another thing they learned from the movies. For instance, in the European context, there is no such thing in many places. So people will ask for a phone call and they'll go like, well, we don't do that here. Um, so especially those situations where all of a sudden something we've never really thought about much becomes incredibly important. Imagine you open a door and it turns out you're uh, seeing the, the, the King of England. All of a sudden, all you have as a reference point is the crown. And you don't have time to think like, wait, how much of this is real? Did I get it from fiction? Can I be sure that this is what the world really looks like? So those, those are moments when those fictional lessons, so to speak, that we've learned very well because we're, we've learned the language of television. We know what happens to the cop who's about to retire. So we, we kind of learn these, these themes, these cliches. And I think especially in moments where you don't have a lot of time to think about where do I get my knowledge from, that's when it starts to affect us. That's fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing. Another related area of your research that I wanted to ask you about was the difficult relationship between our media use and healthy sleep. Can you tell us about your research in this area and share a few of your key findings? Sure. So I remember in 2000, I wrote about this for the first time. And, and some people said like, wait, so you're studying the most trivial thing in the world, which is enjoying yourself watching television. And now you've figured out how to make it even more trivial by comparing it to the one thing that doesn't do anything, which is sleep. Um, people don't say that anymore. Today, we're all struggling, especially with mobile phones and sleep. And, and this is now, I think, a concern that many people struggle with. And I liked it as a topic because it's one of the problems with studying media and especially the stuff that I uh, talk about. It's, it's really hard. It's not very tangible. It's in your mind. Um, did we get something from fictional media? And yeah, they have cliches. And there are times when it doesn't really reflect, reflect reality, but it's close enough or it wouldn't be convincing. So it's really hard to sort of figure out where does the media influence start and what's our own sort of chicken and egg kind of discussion. That's not the case with some behaviors like sleep. Either you're watching television or you're on your phone or you're asleep. So I thought that's a nice, yeah, that's a nice state to, 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 to study media effects in. And then the next thing I think, the next big step for me was at some point, we started to become aware of the effect of blue light. And there was this sense, I think, in some of the sleep research community, we finally know what the media do to us. We figured it out. There's a biological explanation. All we need is goggles and we're gonna be okay. And that's only part of the of the equation. But I think, you know, again, yeah, it's 11. You want to be in bed on time. You decide to watch something because that relaxes you. You like that. That turns into a binge. Um, you're watching Game of Thrones. Your favorite character dies at the end. You know, we call that a cliffhanger. It's what, you know, it's designed to make you want to watch the next episode. So that's not you being weak. That's the media knowing very well how our brains work. So your favorite character at the end of the episode dies or does he? And then streaming media give us a few seconds to make up our minds or we just get the new episode. You're going to watch the next episode and it's not going to be the blue light that keeps you up. Or something upset, ups, uh, upsetting happens in politics and you're a news junkie. You're going to be watching the news for longer than you usually do. And again, if you're the kind of person who says that would never apply to me, 
Fine, maybe you open an email at 11 and there's an upsetting message from your boss or a colleague and now you're going to be fretting about that for an hour instead of falling asleep. Um, so there's a lot about media that makes media very particular and peculiar that uh, is worth studying in the context of sleep. I mean, blue light would be something like your neighbor is, is, is hammering and the noise is keeping you up. That's a physical thing. But with media, it's almost as if you're thinking about a hammer and that's what's keeping you up. And that's that's what makes it so interesting to me. Thank you. So do you have any recommendations for how people can start to introduce healthy habits with their media consumption in an effort to reduce impacts to sleep? I do. I This is not research-based. This is just my, my personal sense of what I think I've learned from, from studying this. Um, most of the time, there seems to be the sense like we have to teach people to stay away from the media. And you very commonly read stuff like no media two hours before bedtime. That sounds very well on paper, but that's not something that's achievable, at least not for most of us. Uh, take, take kids, for instance. We expect them to use a laptop for school, and then somehow they also aren't allowed to use screens. I mean, that's, that's making life really hard. Um, and you can do little things like, you know, turn down the blue light or wear goggles. All of that's useful. But what I think is most useful is for people to start thinking about what is my media use? What are my habits? And then to start worrying about what are my triggers? For instance, um, I, I love the show Criminal Minds. But if that's the last thing I watch before I go to bed, I'm going to have terrible nightmares. There's something about that show that really, really gets to me. So that's a trigger for me. So then the solution is, one solution would be, well, let's not watch that anymore. That would be an option. But that's sort of the idea of you have to be tough on yourself and just, you know, just tough it out and and and, and stop uh, being so weak. I, I don't think that works. I think what works would be, I can watch that show and then I'll watch an episode of The Simpsons because that relaxes me. Then I go to bed. Um, you like playing video games, but then you get caught up. And before you know it, you've been playing for five hours and it's three in the morning. Um, when I was much younger, I was like that. And so my solution for me was I only played demos. So that's like two or three level, uh, levels and then you're kicked out of the game anyway. And it's like, waking up from a trance all of a sudden I became aware of my environment again and I realized okay I would have loved to continue but this is an end point so it's going to be different for everyone and that's why I think it's hard to find any uh, research evidence to support this but I think what we need to realize is the media we use the media because they give us something we have certain needs that are met by the media maybe a sense of connection it may be something more negative, like fear of missing out, you know, which is why a lot of young people, for instance, are glued to their social media, because if you stop liking your friends, they may defriend you. And that's that's a horrible thing at that age. Um, so figure out what are the things that make me tick and and modify that so so it doesn't upset you, so you have a sense of remaining in control. And especially if you think about sleep, you know, what is it that messes my sleep and can I modify that? If you're trying to say like, I'm going cold turkey, no more media, that's like a very strict diet. And we all know how hard it is to, 
to do. It works for a bit. And then all of a sudden you think like, I've gone without pizza for too long or carbs or whatever. Or And it's kind of the same with the media. How, how long can you live like a hermit? Some of us can, and those people don't have these issues, but most of us need a need a way to learn to deal with this that that makes it possible for us to get what we want from the media on the one hand and then sort of mitigate potential negative um, side effects that's super helpful thank you so much as the podcast comes to a close we often like to ask our faculty expert what is one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today well i've not been explicit about it but i think by talking about the processes that we talked about. If I talk to my students about media and sleep, for instance, you know, I, I teach a class about that. The first five minutes of the first conversation I have with the class, within five minutes, we're talking about guilt. Everybody feels incredibly guilty about their media use, especially if you bring up sleep. I'm wasting my time. I'm doing stuff other than 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 studying, and. The reason I talked about mindless media use is so much of this is almost out of our control. The media are very good. I think think about push messages. Your phone pings and it's telling you something's going on. How could you not try to find out what's going on? That's not on you. That's the system. And you have to learn how to navigate the system. So I think if we would feel less guilty about this, it would go a long way towards making us feel more empowered about doing something. But there's nothing wrong with spending an hour watching something on television that relaxes you or makes you laugh or makes you relax. We have a very strong ethic like, no, I should have a hobby. Like, I don't know, I should be making something I can sell on Etsy or I should be learning something. Well, we have leisure time and that's pretty normal. And it's okay to use that for something that is enjoyable and it gives you that relaxes you or helps you switch off your mind after a busy day at work or helps you deal with stress that's fine don't feel guilty about that but become aware of when it goes off the rails you know those triggers i talked about and maybe work on those triggers but but stop the guilt thank you and is there anything else you would like to share this may sound philosophical but i think it's important for us to realize that Talk about traditional, talk with traditional sociologists, political scientists, uh, psychologists. Those fields are older than our current media. And so very often when we talk about where do people get their political ideas from or what is making us anxious or what is keeping us happy with the status quo, you know, I'm quoting political science, psych and, and sociology there. Um, they often, if they are aware of the media, they often treat it as if it's this, you know, we had this wonderful world where things were kind of going well, or at least moving in the right direction. And then this weird external factor came in and now it's messing everything up. All of a sudden, we have to worry about young kids and social media. We didn't used to have that. My sense is that's part of our world. It's not as if we have the world and then something alien is brought in. It's part of the world from the beginning. The earliest writings about communication, I think about a philosopher or sociologist like Habermas, he even included roads in communication because that's how you have the Roman Empire. You need roads that allow you to make a decision in Rome 
and have it also be true in Britain. Um, that's always been a part of our our story as 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 humans. Uh, invention of the printing press changed everything, um, and so we have to learn to live with the media instead of looking at them as this weird alien influence that we have to fight. Instead of that, figure out what it does to you, what you get out of it, and give it a place in your life. Give it a healthy place, but but don't add additional anxieties to an already uh, anxious world by saying now you also have to worry about media. If you think about sleep in particular, think about pulling an all-nighter. We're resilient as human beings. We can deal with a, a, a night with not much sleep. Um, there are amazing experiments when you, you look at that. Like We are very resilient. So one night with not enough sleep, that's, that's going to make you feel groggy maybe for a day, but it's not going to mess you up. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I, I think about this. I think we have to realize we're resilient don't worry too much about it don't start thinking like oh no i slept for seven hours and 50 minutes and i think eight hours is right and it's probably because i spend too much time on my phone but you spend time on your phone because your mom's ill and she had weird questions about i don't know medication in the middle of the night and you thought you had to deal with that you think it's wrong to have been kept up by your mother at, at midnight because technically it's the media that messed with your sleep. And so less guilt, more aware of this is our society, whether we like it or not, I think would go a long way towards uh, preventing media of becoming an additional stress factor in our lives. Dr. Vandenbulk, the research and recommendations you shared with us today were very insightful. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and sharing um, all of your perspectives. I think we all have a lot to think about. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.